Welcome back to LA Catholic Morning here on Archangel Radio. I'm Todd Sylvester here with Michelle McAloon. Mike the Great's at the Command Center over there producing like a boss. We have with us on the line Tom Gilson, who's a senior editor and columnist with The Stream. You can connect with him at stream.org. Here to speak to us about his latest book, Too Good to Be False, How Jesus' Incomparable Character Reveals His Reality. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Since my conversion experience many, many years ago, I have never doubted the reality of Christ is who he said he is. But when I was reading your book, you know what was fascinating? I never looked at it from a skeptic's point of view. If this was made up, they did a horrible job of making this up because they went so way over the top. (laughs) This can't be fiction, right? That was my conclusion. I, you look at how the skeptics think this, um, the story was made up, and and, and it was either an, an over-the-top job or, was, in my view, it was an impossible job. The, the story <laughs> is the character of Jesus is so incredibly unique and consistent and good. Uh, you can't make that up. Indeed. It's not possible. Indeed. Now, you broke up the book into three parts. Explain those three parts. Sure. Yeah. Part one is about uh, Jesus' character, and it's uh, he, he's better than we knew. When I was studying for this, I just I, I was amazed at things that I hadn't realized about Jesus. And the way I discovered it was by not not so much by looking at what he did or said, but what he didn't do and didn't say, and how different he is from all the other great leaders or religious founders, and even in mythology or history or whatever. Give us some examples and of that. So, well, uh, the, the easiest one to, to say real quickly is that there is nobody in imagination, history, or anywhere that had great power and was really self-sacrificially other-oriented in giving. Nobody. And Jesus is uh, hes powerful to the extreme in the story. I mean, he's the creator. And he's self-sacrificial to the extreme in the story. And there's nobody like him anywhere. Um, he never used this extraordinary power for his own benefit. Nobody like him mm-hmm. in that sense. That's just one example of dozens. You know what, though, Tom, when you were writing about that and, and the, the simplicity of just having the power of altering a football game, and I thought, imagine yeah. if you just had supreme power and you were walking around with that, it really would be so difficult not to corrupt ourselves with that. I think uh, for any of us, it would be impossible. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine not using it to to get myself something, um, and, and then start overusing it and start using it greedily and uh, and harmfully. Jesus, if if he faced well, he did face that temptation. Uh, that Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread, and he didn't do it. He, he used his power for others. Yeah, and you kind of look at that and go, what's the big deal if he turns the stones into bread? He's hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days, for crying out loud. Give him some bread. Yeah, that's right. And apparently, you know, apart from the fact that he said, you know, uh, 
you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's not clear why that was wrong, but it was to us, but it was clear to Jesus, and he did not fall for the temptation. And I'm glad he didn't, because that just shows that he did not need his power for himself. He used it for us. Amen. You know, it's interesting that we as human beings are attracted to people who have a fraction of that ability. So the great leaders, the great mm-hmm. heroes that we as human beings have been able to identify special gifts that we could see absolutely completed in Jesus Christ alone. So there's something in yeah. us that is really attracted to leaders, but we cannot, a lot of times we can't connect it to this, you know, this man, this God who had the whole package. Yeah, we're attracted to them, and I think there's a sense in which we fear them too. We're, we worry about what they're going to do to us. Um, and and for those who know Jesus, well, he's got enough power for us to be very scared. Um, there is something to be said for the fear of God, but he doesn't use it that way. He uses it for our good if we will just trust him with it. Right, right. Amen. All right, so first part is his character. What's the second part? The second part is too good to be false, and that deals with the uh, the skeptics. And you know, in the first part, I talk about the character of Jesus, and they say, oh, "Okay, that's a character in a story. What if the story isn't true?" And so I say, "Let's take it seriously. Let's look at this character. Jesus in the in the Gospels, in the story, his character is incredibly consistent, incredibly unique, mm-hmm. incredibly good." Well, the skeptics say that this character came about when the early church, due to psychological needs and political and theological desires, just essentially built the story over time as a legend. And it landed in four different places, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and it's all legend. And I look at that in detail, and I say that the skeptics' ideas there should have corrupted the character. It should have produced something that was distorted, mixed up, uh, contradictory. And they'll say, okay, there's little contradictions like the number of angels at the tomb and the resurrection story. But I look at the character of Jesus, and he is incredibly consistent and unique and good. This didn't come about the way that they say it came about. I, I love you because you talk about a lot of the famous atheists and how if they were just playing telephone and they were sharing the message and it was going around. And I'm thinking at that at that point in time, Tom, lasers would have been coming out of Jesus's eyes. I mean, come on, something, <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, I've got an epilogue, I mean, an appendix in there where I, um, I quote from a few of the later quote gospels from the second, third century. That was comical. Got, that was comical. I got to yeah, tell our, our readers that's worth getting the book just for that because it was funny. <laughs> yeah, they got Jesus coming out of the tomb fifty feet high, <laughs> uh, and you know, it's it comes. It's different when legend creeps in, and it's noticeably different. Right, right. Le- legends, mythology, and human beings did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, and to yeah. really examine salvation history at the time that when human history and salvation history, when Jesus Christ came, there's there is such a logic there that, you know, that the 
the the clashing together of historical phenomena, just even human historical phenomena, and how Christ arose in that situation is it does not defy human logic that this man came out of that milieu of history. Right. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent his son. There was a preparation for it in all kinds of ways, just as you were saying. I agree. All right. So then the second part is it's too good to be false. What's the third part of the book? Third part I titled Jesus No Matter What. And here I... I talk about how Jesus is not just true, not just good, but you know we're we're in a in a phase of history that's unusual. It's new for the Western world. It's not new for the rest of Christianity, but it is for us in the Western world, where you know people have always had uh, Christians in our part of the world have always had to ask, "Am I going to follow Jesus when?" when my finances are in trouble or when my relationships or my health are in trouble, we're facing a time now when we're going to have to ask the question, am I ready to follow Jesus when following Jesus itself is the cause of my struggles? People are pressuring me mm-hmm. to give up my faith. And and my point in this third section is to say, follow him. He is worth it. Mm-hmm. He's real. He's good. He's too good to be false. He's too good to let go of. That's the point of the third section, in in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's extensive, and I love how many notes you use and how many other authors you you bring in there. It, it really was a fun read because, like I said, as someone who I, I enjoy writing just on the side, I'm not a professional writer, but uh, I enjoy you know getting in there and thinking about fictional characters and even the greatest heroes. I mean, think about. Where when people say that this was made up, the traditions that it came from, even the Greek and the Roman gods, no one was anything like Jesus before Jesus. And no one has been anything like Jesus since that time. It's just why all of the in the Gregorian calendar that this is the mark right here. I I mean, I I don't understand how people can kind of look away from this, Tom. Yeah, and I don't know either. And. The other thing that confuses me, and I still haven't figured out why, is that nobody's talked about it this way in 90 years. This book is new to our generation. This whole approach is new to our generation. But you're right. No one. There, there are a few figures since Jesus who somewhat resemble him. Superman is very powerful and very good. But guess what? Siegel and Schuster modeled him after Jesus. <laughs> right. And he still doesn't get there. He doesn't, because Lois Lane is more kryptonite than anything else. And Just you saying know, that. And you know right. what? You can take someone like Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, I believe, changed the trajectory of human rights, not only in this country, but in the world. He actually mm-hmm. bended it. He bent our trajectory for human rights there's no question about it mm-hmm. but you know what and he was self self-sacrificial as he sat in the birmingham jail but he had his human peccadillos too he was not a perfect man he had a he had an, a strain of self-sacrifice and he was willing to do things and to lead people but he was not perfect and you see this in the historical figures throughout history they have a strain but no one has the full package they just can't right and no one has uh shakespeare goethe dostoevsky sophocles no one 
none of the great authors, uh, poets, poets, playwrights, no one has come close to, to making up another character like Jesus. And in fact, one of the surprising things about Jesus in, in terms of fiction or literature is that a good story always has character development. Someone grows through their struggles, gets better through experience. Jesus doesn't get better. Mm-hmm. He, he, there's no character growth in him, so his story ought to be really boring on that term, on those terms. But, you know, 2,000 years later, billions of people still interested in him. He's not boring. Yeah. Uh, there's something very different about his story in that way, too. Yeah. That was neat that you brought that up because, again, I really appreciate Tom. We're speaking with Tom Gilson. His book is Too Good to be False. And that perspective was something that I honestly never thought of is that when you're talking about the person of Jesus Christ, I've done it myself where I've written a little, you know, something and people will read it and go, Todd, the character is too good. Like you, you, you got to have a little chink in the armor. There's, there's got to be a little crack in there. Or we're not going to be able to associate ourselves. We're not going to be able to connect emotionally. And yet, with Christ, he's perfect. He's perfect, and yet, we all connect. Uh, Over a billion people, Tom, connect with him. That's right. And and even the other religions, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. The Hindus, the Buddhists, um, even the communists, they all want to have their version of Jesus. There's there's something incredibly compelling about him. Even though if character growth is part of what's important in a character, it, no one should be interested in, in him. Something very different about him. And he did not come about the way the skeptics think he did by way of, you know, communities of faith trying to solve their problems and making him up. That's just not possible. He, he speaks totally to our human nature. He really does. He is absolutely, mm-hmm. he encompasses our human nature in a way that nothing else on the world does. I've always found fascinating that he basically had 18 years of silence in his life. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, from basically mm-hmm. from the 12 to 30, uh, from the age of about 12, I guess, to 30, he was silent. And, you know, it just dawned on me that character development he did, we didn't need to see that character development in that 18 years of silence. Right. And, and I wonder, too, if we would have uh, gotten the wrong message from him if we had followed him through his years. If, suppose he was working in the carpenter shop. And, um, you know, what's remarkable about his ministry is that what we see in him is what we're supposed to follow, his teachings, his relationships, his character, what we don't see in him is how to make a good cut in a piece of wood. Mm. Um, we might actually be under a legalistic pile of of something that he did not intend that has nothing to do with the Christian religion. If we were if we were shown his character or his the way he lived in that role, uh, I think that was probably providential. Yeah. Huh? That makes sense. Yeah, maybe we would have gotten bored. You know, in our stupidity, uh, we would have gotten bored uh-huh. of uh, or a lot more of us would have had workshops. Yeah, maybe so. Of a Jesus. Yeah, maybe that's right. right. Maybe, you know, if of that's seeing right. that, you know, of a Christ um, development in that period of time. So uh, mm-hmm. very, very interesting. I, I could see how your book has really 
touched a nerve because it does, you know, in this age of great questioning of looking for heroes and leaders, ultimately Jesus Christ is, is that he fits the bill on every level. It does. While I was writing it, there were times when I just had to stop and fall on my face and say, Jesus, you are my God. I just worship him. I'm hearing from readers that they're having a, a new experience of worship and of awe and of love for him. And I'm not surprised because it happened to me. He is uh, hes greater than I knew. I've been a Christian for 40-some years. And um, this has been a new experience for me of meeting him. And it's been gratifying to me to see that other people have had that kind of experience while reading the book, too. Because he's, he is, uh, he's the most perfect human, the only perfect human life that's ever been lived. Yes. And God in the flesh. Yeah. And worthy of our worship. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Tom Gilson, well done, my friend. We uh, look forward to talking to you again. You're really putting out some great stuff right now. And if you get a chance, go get this book. It is fabulous. Up next is William Dethridge with Clarifying Catholicism, L.A. Catholic Morning.